Psalms 90. Psalms 90. Psalms number 90. The entire Psalms are divided into five books. Psalms number 90 is the beginning of the fourth book. And this is the only book that is named after Moses. It is said that there might be other Psalms that are written by Moses. But this one specifically is said to be written by Moses. And many a times I only hear these Psalms being preached during funerals. When somebody die and we are holding a funeral service respect of that person most a time I have had messages being preached from this particular Psalms. I have not had it so much being preached during normal worship services. These Psalms has a lot of messages fitting several occasions that can draw us more closer to God and bring us face to face with the realities of life. So we'll be reading from verse 1 to 12. Psalms number 90 from verses 1 to 12. I am reading from a very strange uh, translation to me. It's a nice translation and I, I appreciate it, but just that I am not used to it. But uh, for the way it translates some of the verses I will be preaching from this morning, I choose to use the African translation version of the Bible. Verse 1 says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. 
Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that spring up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes. But by evening, it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our sacred sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pains and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as overwhelmed as the fear you deserve. The last verse, verse 12 says, teach us to realize the, brave, the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Can somebody with the New Living Translation read that verse for us and then another person with the NIV version? Please, let me have... Uh, who has the New Living Translation? New Living Translation. Get the, the mic to her. Who has the NIV version? There is an old man there raising his hand. Get the mic to him. Give it to the old papa there. That's the NIV version? Okay. Go ahead, sir. Verse 12, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, New Living Translation. I said New Living Translation. Somebody should have the New Living Translation. Uh huh. Go ahead, sir. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that 
we may grow in wisdom. Take it again, sir. Teach us to realize the brevity of life. Teach us to realize the brevity of life. So that we may, know, we may grow in wisdom. So that we may grow in wisdom. And the African translation says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life. So that we may grow in wisdom. The same thing with the New Living Translation. By His grace this morning, I want us to consider the topic, A Call to Remember Our Dependency on God. A Call to Remember Our Dependency on God. Shall we pray? Loving Father in heaven, we want to appreciate you for another opportunity you are giving us to interact with your word. We lack knowledge. We lack wisdom. We lack understanding. And we need you, Lord, to help us this hour. So that we will understand that which you want to reveal to us. That we may be increased in wisdom. That we may be increased in understanding. So that we will be able to apply this wisdom and understanding of your word in our daily living. That we will be able to please you as we live through this life. Thank you, Father, that you do this for us because we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I don't want to go into the different theories people have suggested that led to bringing this particular passage. To where it is. For people have suggested different reasons. But it is obvious that the two different times that are suggested as the period when this was written I quite agree with them the first it is suggested that Moses actually came up with this speech during the period when the children of Israel came out from Israel I mean Egypt and at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses, the servant of God, went up to receive the Tenth Commandment. And he left the children of Israel under the leadership of his senior brother Aaron. The people there turned their back against God. They forgot the living God who acted in power full of authority to bring them out of Egypt. And they decided to make a golden calf. And they decided to ascribe the glory of God to that golden calf. And they said, this is our God. 
the one who has been sustaining us, the one who will continue to sustain us. The one who has been providing for us, the one who will continue to provide for us. The one who has been helping us and the one who will continue to help us. Of course, at that time they never experienced war. And they didn't know what it means to fight war. Probably they would have also ascribed to the golden calf as the god of battle. At that particular time, God was angry with the people of Israel. And he threatened their existence as a nation, as a people. Because he wanted to write them off. Remember the prayers of Moses, the servant of God, on their behalf. And then the second period again that uh, people suggested, I mean scholars suggested, was during the exile. When God was angry with his people, that he had to turn his back against them, and he gave up on them. The people he had driven away. The people he had given up. For the sake of Israel. He now granted them authority and power. To humiliate his own people. But all of this are only pointing to us. That God loves His people. That God also had a plan for His own people. That God chose them for a purpose. And God's love over them will only continue to be effective so long as they remain faithful to their own calling. And these are the key issues I want us as a people this morning to see as lessons to us. That yes, God loves us. Yes, He chose us. But that God did not just choose us for nothing. God did not choose us for no reason. God chose us for a purpose. And it is only when we remain relevant. It is only when we remain faithful. That God's love. Will continue. To be effective in our lives. 
A call to remember our dependence on God. When we see verse 1. Verse 1 is a testimony. Verse 1 is a declaration. Verse 1 is a confirmation. That we are only who we are. Because of God. Because He was the one who created us. Because He created us for His own purpose. We can only find our being in Him. We can only find meaning in this life through Him. We can only find a reason. To live on in Him. But also there is the tendency for the people of God to forget. That God is the reason for our living. There is a tendency for the people that are choosing, that are called by God, to forget that they are alive or they are existing because of Him. The children of Israel who we are called by God Who we are supposed to recognize their dependency on Him at certain points failed to recognize God as their keeper. To recognize God as the one who is keeping them. Brethren, He is our dwelling. He is our home. He is our abode. Outside God, there is no life. Outside God, we are nothing. And so God is above all. And rules over all. Forever and ever. The passage again brought a contrast between we human and the everlasting God. The fact that God is above all and He rules over all forever. We humans, our lives are just for a short while. Very short and brief. And this short and brief life is filled with disappointment, pains, suffering, and troubles. 
For those whose life will be short and brief may not be able to accomplish all that they wanted. And so they will be faced with disappointment. For those whose life will be long, they are those that are blessed with long life. May have to endure more pains, troubles, and suffering. All the verses starting from verse 3 tells us that we come, we came into being for the purpose of God. And we can only succeed or achieve success in this life, when we choose to live our lives through God or in Him. And so, for us to be able to choose to live our lives in Him, that is why the auto came up with the conclusion in verse 12. We need to pray that God will teach us to number our days aright. To see and understand how brief this life is. And to understand Now, whether this life is short or it is going to be long, still we are bound to face troubles. We are bound to face disappointments. We are bound to face pains and trials. The only way to succeed is when we obtain wisdom from God. Is when we allow God to be the one guiding and leading us. Some days ago, I challenged us. There is the need for rose at every point in time. To pause and look back. To pause and reflect. To see where we are coming from. To see where we are standing. It will help us to know where we intend to get to. 
And then we will try to look at our achievements. These achievements, are they to the glory and honor of God? Or they are just for our own personal satisfaction? We need to remember that we are heading towards where we came from. By the planning and programs of God, we came from the dust. And that same dust, we shall return to. And then I remembered the program coordinator from the beginning of this worship service congratulated us for making it through the last Sunday of the year 2019. And he made an announcement. There is a need for us to be joyful. There is a need for us to be happy. There is a need for us to praise the Lord. And I ask, when you reflect and you see your achievements for this year, they are to whose glory? They are to whose glory? Is it to the glory of God? Is it to your own glory? Or you don't even know what to say? Do you really have a reason to praise the Lord for living through the year 2019? What are your reasons for praising the Lord that He gave you an opportunity to live through the year 2019? And very soon, on the Christmas Eve, we'll be asking ourselves, what are your reasons for asking God to give you 2020? What will be your reasons for kneeling down and praying to God and asking God, give me the year 2020? How faithful have you been to the Lord? In 2019. How effective have you been in the services of the Lord? In 2019. Brethren. Some of us may not even need to request from the Lord. Give me 2020. The Lord already have approved it for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Lord already have approved 2020 for you. You don't need to make it a request. At all. I've always reminded us that as we live through this life, we need to always understand, have that understanding, that you are not here by chance. The Lord carefully, wonderfully created you. Made you in His own image. The only one aspect where there is always confusion is whether you choose to live your life for His own purpose or for your own purpose. That is where the trouble lies. 
And so for those of us that have been so careful, always making inquiries from the Lord before we do whatever we are doing. Like I told you, He has already lined up all the programs, all the activities, everything He has in store for you. He has already lined them up for 2020. It's only left up to you to claim them. Some of us, if we are going to be very sincere to ourselves, you don't even have any moral stand to come and face the Lord and say, give me 2020. Your son who came to you and said, Daddy, give me school fees. And you counted the exact amount he needed for school fees and gave it to him. You gave him pocket money, you gave him transport money, and every other thing he will need. And he left. And you said, save Johnny. What reason would that son or daughter of yours have to come back again the following week and say, Daddy, give me school fees. Or Mommy, give me school fees. Are, are you getting what I'm trying to say here? The only way he can get extra money from you is to lie. But he can never tell you, give me school fees. He can only tell lies. Brethren, and we know very well that you cannot tell God lies, even though we have been attempting. We have been attempting to lie to God. Because you know very well that He is the one who created you. You know very well that He knows the abilities He has invested in you. You know very well that he knows the opportunities he has created for you. You misuse them. And then you run to him again and say, God, give me this. This is where God's special grace comes to play. And then remember, the Apostle Paul says, Should we continue sinning that grace may abound? He said, no, not at all. Not at all. Grace is an opportunity given to us as his own special chosen people to make amendment. To repent. And so when you fail to repent of your shortcomings and you continue to count upon grace, grace will surely be over one day. And I want to ask you this question. Are you still dwelling on grace? 
or you have decided to confront your sins, your shortcomings, your iniquities. For how long will you continue to dwell on falsehood? I remember on Christmas Day, was it on Christmas Day? Or on Christmas Eve? That the associate pastor was talking about the false Jesus. And the real Jesus. And he talked about how we pattern our lives. Our lifestyles. If you are living in accordance with the word of God. It means you are serving the true Jesus. But when you turn your back against the truth of the word of God and you are busy doing your own thing, deceiving yourself that you are a Christian, he said you are dwelling on falsehood because you are serving the false Jesus. Only one Jesus was sent to redeem us. Only one Jesus died for us. Our failure, our inability to pattern our lives based on the word of God is leading us into falsehood. And so we have to create other false Jesus that we are serving. Who will be comfortable with our lifestyles. Who will approve of the things we are doing. And those false Jesus have so many servants. Have so many churches spread all over the world today. Have so many ministers that are working for them today. Teach us to number our days aright. One way I said we number our days wrongly is when you are celebrating your anniversary and you say another year has been added. It is wrong. The right way to count it is that one year has been subtracted, isn't it? The Bible tells us that some of us will live 70, isn't it? Those with special grace will live 80. We have those with extra, extra, extra grace. Uh, just of recent, we learned that uh, the oldest, uh, is it the oldest man, they said in the U.S., there is something, either the oldest twin or something like that in the U.S. died at the age of 120. So, you will continue to have people with extra, extra grace. Isn't it? But the Bible tells us, even those extra years 
we will leave them in pains. Do you think it is easy? If you want to find out what we are talking about, ask Elder uh, Francis. Ask Elder Francis. His mother that used to back him. Today he is the one that can help her to sit up just to eat. Just to sit or to sit up. They have to help her. We thank God that there is improvement. He was telling me she was even desiring to come to church. But you can imagine. Do you think no matter the healing and whatever, would your mother ever get up again and go to farm and do the things she used to do before? The best you can ever pray for her is for her to be able to walk with her two legs and use the bathroom. That is the best you can only ever pray for her. If she can eat herself and then go and help herself. But you don't need anything more from her. Is that what you will call life? I've told you the story of my mother when she was not a believer. She was coming from Kagoro Market and she saw an accident. A vehicle knocked down somebody and the head broke. The brains mixed up with the blood. And she came back and was narrating her experience. My senior sister said to her, You see, we have been telling you about Christ and you refuse to Accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. What if you were the one that died like that person? You would have gone to hellfire. She was eating all. The hand with the soup and everything, she used it. Slap my, 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 my sister. He said, I now know. I knew very well that you don't like me. So you are praying dead for me. It was just a mere comparison. She was saying, what if you were the one? Ask my wife. How many times my mother at the Abuja University Teaching Hospital was praying for death? She said, I want to die. Let me go so that you people will rest. Me too, I will rest. What do you think was responsible for that? Hmm? Not just age. Not just the pains. You see, she slapped my sister because she was afraid to die. To die and face what? Said she will go to hellfire if she were the one that died. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Now she knows very well she's no longer going to hellfire. So what was the point of living? To her it was suffering. Why should I continue suffering in this life when I know that I have a better place there? Do, do you understand what I'm saying?
when we obtain wisdom from the Lord, and we are able to understand that 2019, as far as God's program is concerned in our life, is my nost. You can never go back to undo that which you have done, that God is not happy with you. You have failed Him. As far as God is concerned, you have failed Him. You have disappointed Him. No reward for you. No reward. It's gone. The ones that you have done faithfully, that God already have ticked, your crowns are awaiting you. No one can take it away. No one. No one. When we obtain this wisdom, and we understand the reason and the purpose we are living, brethren, you will stop serving God because of human beings. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of us, there are opportunities God presented to us. We threw them away. Because as far as we were concerned, the right atmosphere was not created for us. We were not given the right recognition. We were not treated the way we should be treated. And so, there was no reason for us to do it. That is why I say, when I hear people say, I will no longer go to this church. Because a fellow worshiper has offended me. Or a fellowship member have maltreated me. Have not treated me well. Right. Why in the first place did you choose to go to that church? Are you getting what I'm saying? Brethren, whether you choke me with knife, or you beat me with sticks, or you carry cutlasses on me, I was telling somebody the pains that we will always have. When we carry the burdens of members, I say one day, you'll wake up and you'll never see your pastor again. You'll pack his things and run away. I will have no reason to run. Are you getting what I'm saying? I will have no reason to run because all of those things are nothing compared to what Jesus Christ passed through in order to redeem me. So if I am serving Jesus here in this place, I will never care what you people do. Rather, I will see your reaction as a proof that you really need help. Are you getting what I'm saying? That truly, you really need help. How often do you see the behavior of that sister as somebody who really needs your help? 
And you take time to pray for her. How often do you see the behavior of that brother as somebody who... Do you think he wants to go to hellfire? What is he doing in the church? If he or she had made up her mind, I want to go to hellfire, what would she be doing in the choir? She will have no business coming to church. It's because she wants to make heaven. But he's confused. She doesn't know what is right and what is wrong. Or she's still struggling with the flesh. He needs help. And if you say you are the stronger type, and that is why you will now run away because they are not spiritual. What, don't, didn't you see that as a mission field? Are you getting what I'm saying? Have you ever cared to kneel down and ask God, why did you direct me to that church? Brethren, I've said, if we are really going to take our time to find out from God why we are where we are, we will not make so many mistakes. We will find ourselves doing the will of God in our lives. If the other fellow is weak, Paul tells us that it is our responsibility, those of us who are strong, to do what? To help them. And I assure you, once you leave your duty post, where God placed you, where God said, I need you. You may never find it again. You will end up roaming from one place to another, looking for a life that has no meaning. To some who are given special grace, they went round, 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 and they eventually came back to where the Lord needed them. We will only gain a heart of wisdom when we realize what, what, what is new in uh, 2019, uh, 2020. We describe it as a new year, isn't it? New year. Happy new year. What is new in it? What is new in it? We met January in 2019, isn't it? Is it not the same January we are going to meet? Is it not the same February we are going to meet? And we'll begin the counting again. From January, February, March, April, May, until we reach December. And we'll be saying we are about to say bye-bye to the whole year. Isn't it? And we are talking about entering another new year again. The only thing that is new. Is your life. Are you understanding it? The only thing that is new in the new year is your experiences. 
You have left behind your past experience. You are about to encounter the Lord in a new dimension. It is only when you see it like this that you apply wisdom in whatever you do. But when you are thinking that it is the days that are the new, mm-mm, mm-mm. where the sun used to come out from, that is where it will still come out from. And where it used to, you understand what I'm trying to say? It will still, still sit there. Seasons will continue to come and go. But what you do with your life is what is new. The kind of work you are going to work with God is what is new. Shall we pray? And our readiness to hear you speak to us. Father, grant us better understanding of your word. Give us obedient hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you will speak to us even as we listen to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Let's have our seats. Let me see how many people don't understand Yoruba in this church. Just raise up your hand and let me see. You don't understand Yoruba? Okay, thank you very much. Put down your hands. Let me see how many of you don't understand Igbo. Uh-uh. Thank you very much. Put down your hands. Let me see how many of you don't understand Hausa. Okay. The hands are few. Elder uh, Ologu, you mean you cannot even count money in house, sir? You can count money. Okay. Um, I want to say this to our singing groups. We appreciate the fact that God understands every language. And if you use any language in worshiping and praising God, he will understand. But you remember what Paul said to the Corinthians when he was addressing the issue of speaking in tongues. I want you to do your best to treat this church as an English speaking church. You understand what I mean? You understand what I mean? Aha. We are instruments in the hands of God that he intends to use and bless every worshiper. In as much as I will not have any problem with popular choruses that I know everybody know how to sing it even though we may not know the meaning. Uh, let us do our best to bless every worshiper. The day I hear you get up and give your special number 
in a, in a language different from the English that this service. Where did you started worshipping? It means originally all of you were Hausa church members. Yes? Uh-uh. I know what I am saying. I'm not saying every one of you present here. Me, I was not there. But originally, you were Hausa members. And you started worshipping there. Then the need came for you to establish an English section. Where English will be spoken. Isn't it? Because you want English worshippers to be the beneficiaries of whatever we will do. Isn't it? I don't know English very well. Sometimes when I speak, the ones who command English, when they hear, when they listen to me, they will feel like vomiting. That is the truth. But because I am the pastor of English section, I will never, I will never even give an illustration in my language. Do you know that I have many of my language people in this church? In fact, it is only in this church that I have uh, my own tribal men. Okay, there I had uh, one. But I have more here. So, please, I appreciate your song so much. In fact, you were speaking and I, was, I mean you were singing and I was feeling as if we were in heaven. But I was just saying how I wish these people gave this special number in English. I wish. So the Lord will strengthen us and help us. Please. It's a ministry. And uh, when they were training us in the pastoral work, and they were talking about uh, communication, it is very, very important. It is very, very important. That is why it is very wrong for some of you to just come up and say you are architect, you are engineers, and you go and design a church without consulting the pastor. I have not seen where you put your pulpit. I know the pastor who was here at that time must have uh, told you the importance of eye contact when you are preaching or when you are dealing with people. Very soon, some of you will start doing like this. And then I will know you are telling me it is time for you to allow us go home and rest. But some who are too spiritual, they will say you are praying for them. I don't think that is a sincere prayers. So, uh, when you speak and everybody understands what you are saying, through that song, God could transform a life. God would definitely touch somebody and something great will happen. So, Mata, Kadamui Rawa, the Sakung Allah, oh, Mommy, why are you just laughing? Ban. Karakui Rawa, the Maganang Allah, oh. You leader, did you understand what I said? 
Huh? You understand what I said? Are you out, sir? Okay, no wonder. It's okay. Maybe I would have uh, I would have approached my friend. I know he wouldn't have gotten what I said. So the Lord will help us. Let's turn our Bibles to First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. Where we read from in the morning. First Timothy chapter one. Verses 1 to 8. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. I have always encouraged children of God to try, try your best and do away with certain beliefs we grew up with. I have never, I have never, unless if I am caught unaware and I am asked to address a congregation and I am using a passage that is very popular, very popular, I only use King James Version for research. You understand what I mean? I only use King James Version for research. There are certain ideas we are holding on to and we actually do not know what they are doing to us. The things we say are outdated that are seriously needed to build our faith. are the ones we throw away and the ones that we really do not need are the ones we are holding on to. King James Version is an authentic scripture. Authoritative. You understand what we are saying? Inspired. And there is no one single pastor that does not recognize it. But the problem with King James Version is that the language they use in writing it, that language is no longer in use in our generation. Do you understand? Do you understand? And there are most recent discoveries that most of these recent translations include them into our own scriptures. And they will always tell you that this particular section is not included in the original version. Do you understand? So if I want to know the root of a particular word, and I want to know how that word was used at that particular time, I go back to King James Version. It will give me the meaning of that particular word. And then I look at other translations, how they continue to translate it. 
and how they are using it today. In the language I understand that I know I went to school and they taught me with it. Some of us have been brainwashed and we are made to believe that the Holy Spirit is only in King James Version. And so everywhere we go is King James Version. You will not know so many things. When you are communicating with me, you don't use doubt. You don't use all the, the language they use in uh, King James Version. And I wonder how many of our children, when they pick it and read it, they will understand what is there. So please, I remember in all the seminaries, they will tell you, if you don't come with NIV, the lecturer will walk you out of the, because it is more or less like the reverse standard version that was accepted in schools for exams. You remember what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So, uh, I am reading from the NIV version of the Bible. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they are confidently affirm. Verse 8, the last verse. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. May the Lord bless his word in our hearts. By the special grace of God, we are still looking at the outcome of our prayers and fasting when we looked at the seven churches found in Asia Minor at that particular time the Apostle Paul received these messages from Christ and pass them unto these churches. And this came as a result of our desire and intention to look at or reflect upon the original church, the first century church found in the book of Acts. That we wanted to reflect upon so that we will compare our work with God in this generation with how the first century church worked with God to know how far 
we must have deviated from the truth. Oh, how strong and firm we are still holding on to the truth. And then these churches, we are supposed to provide a warning and a challenge and encouragement, support for us in this generation. To do the things we know that the Lord has approved of us. So that we will receive the blessing. So that we will grow to become the true church of Jesus Christ. So that we will run away from those things that Jesus Christ have rejected. Have condemned. So that we will run away and be free from the punishment that some of these churches received. So that we will hearken to the voice of God and escape from His judgment. Last Sunday, we try to look at the purpose of these messages to the seven churches. And I said the intention was for us as a church in Equal Good News, PW, to consider the value of these messages to us in our own generation. Mind you, Sunday before I traveled to Gombe, I introduced this by throwing a question to every one of us. And I expected us to answer this question. When we get it right, it will help us to remain focused. When we get it wrongly, we will know that we need to make a redress. So that our worship of God, our service unto the Lord, will not be in vain. And I ask, why are you doing what you are doing? The danger is because we are living in a generation where self-centeredness is a priority to every individual. We only want to do things that satisfy us. We only want to see things that pleases us. We only want to do things that we feel happy doing. And I said, hmm. That some of us, in the effort to build our image, self-esteem, we want to have a reputation before every human being. 
I say we even end up living our lives for people. More than we live our lives for God. In a situation where even what you, you dress, you are doing it because of people or you are afraid of what people will say. In a situation where telling the truth will become difficult because you are afraid of what people will say. Brethren, many churches in our generation have drifted away from the truth because we are afraid of what people will say. How would people see us? How will people read us? What will people say about us? And then I ask, if we are going to be very careful to take time to analyze this and we come to the conclusion that because I have been saved by Christ, I am living my life for Jesus and not for anybody. Brethren, you will be different in all your actions. And you know what? Even in the fellowship, many people will have problems with you. Because they can't freely come to you and gossip and get away with it. When they finish saying what they are saying, you will say, thank you for coming. She's talking about Sister Julie. Do you have the phone number of Julie? And then you call Julie. Let Julie come so that you will say what you have said. So that we will now help to build Julie, isn't it? So that we will help to advise her not to continue with this kind of life. Do you think she will come to you again tomorrow? Do you think she will love you or she will hate you? No, let's say the truth. She will do what? In fact, she may never greet you the following morning when you meet. And then she will end up giving you names. What is the popular name they give you when you are standing for Jesus? In those days, they used to say the mother of Jesus. When you are telling the truth, they say eh, the mother of Jesus. I don't know what name they call them today. Are you getting what I'm saying? But the truth of the matter, do we really know the reason and the purpose for which we are in the fellowship? What is the meaning of fellowship? Have we taken time to analyze the meaning of fellowship? And is that what we are working towards achieving? Hardly with a sister be in need, be it spiritually or physically. Hardly. Because when a true fellowship is taking place in Equal Good News, PW, all those who will come with spiritual needs, their needs shall be met in Equal Good News, PW. All those who will come with physical needs, material needs, or whatever needs, those needs will be met in Equal PW. 
Just like it was in the first century church. Brethren, we say that we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that all of us are candidates of heaven. Is that not what we say? Let me see one candidate of hellfire here. Raise up your hand and let me see. Please, I beg you, if you know you are a candidate of hellfire, just raise up your hand. I think it is for that purpose that we are even gathered here, Ko. So that we can help you make a U-turn. That is not the place where God wants you to go to. And brethren, whether we like it or not, my professors have told me that any time you are standing in front and people are seated in front of you, believe that there are many candidates of hellfire that you need to allow God to use you as an instrument to help them make a U-turn. True or false? But when I ask how many are candidates of hellfire, I never saw one single hand. It means they will never raise up their hands. It means they will always hide themselves. Even when they know who they are. Brethren, it will never be out of place if I conclude that we have armed robbers seated here in this church this morning. It will never be out of place that there are people who sleep from houses that do not belong to them. And they walk up from there in sin and they are here seated in church this morning. It will be my fault. It will be your fault who claim you are standing strong in the Lord. If we fail to identify these people and help them. They came here because they do not want to make hellfire. That is why when I ask, who are those that are candidates of hellfire? There was no one single person that rose up his hand. Okay, let's see. How many are candidates of heaven? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hand. I can see some are not raising their hands. You are not making a mistake. There are people who are not sure of where they are going to. Don't they need help? They need help. Brethren, your actions are prompted from your own heart. Is it not true? So even when you sit in church, you do things naturally that you find it very difficult to explain. Why did I do these things? Why am I behaving this way? You understand what I'm saying? That's the truth. We must grow to become a church that meets the needs of every single individual. Brethren, even the devil, even the devil, when he walks into our church, we must create the right atmosphere that he will surely find help when he comes in here. We all know that the devil will not repent. Isn't it? We all know that he will not repent. If we make it very difficult for him to find a place in this congregation, 
Have we not helped him? I've had people who are angry with the pastor. Because it's like someone must have gone to worship me with the pastor. The pastor didn't have any message today. All he was talking about is my life. And then he will tell you from today I will not go to that church again. That is just to tell you that the devil has actually found a seat in the heart of that person. And he's not willing to allow that person to change. And I said today, we will analyze these messages. I will just take time to mention these points and then we will go. Having it in mind that everything we have taken time to do, brethren, from the passage we have read from, is telling us that the ultimate goal of all instructions given to us from the word of God is not knowledge in itself. People go from one place to another seeking for knowledge just to build vast knowledge on the word of God. No matter how much you sought for knowledge, you will never know the word of God like the devil knows. Do you understand? One thing we fail to understand is that knowledge will never save us. Knowledge will never save us. The purpose for which God is giving us his instructions are for inward spiritual transformation. That radically change changes can take place. That our moral character will be transformed and turned into what we used to be to become the true children of God. That he is always pleased with. You remember when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus Christ? What was the voice saying? This is my son in whom I am always pleased with. And the question I always ask. In every situation you find yourself in. Can you... Give God the opportunity to make that pronouncement about you when your colleagues in the office are proudly sharing and fighting over what does not belong to them. 
they have cheated, taking what belongs to other people. Brethren, we don't know what we are doing. In 1988, I was uh, in Bendel State, the then Bendel State. And I was working with uh, a policeman. He's a corporal. They took him from the north here during the time of uh, Shagari. They transferred them to Bendel State. He went there as a corporal. And people who later on joined the police force. And some of them were posting them out became inspectors and we are now posting these people out. This man is a Muslim from Borno and we are friends. He will sit down and he was talking and say, Pastor, do you know why I am still the corporal I came into Bender with? They are tired of me. And they don't know what to do with me. They push me to the court. And I am comfortable working in the court. Because I, will, I have no reason to force anybody to give me money. And they would love to force me to where I will force people to give me money so that I will come back and give them return. And when they realize that I will not do it, they have abandoned me in the court. Since I came to Bendel, this is where I am. And I am comfortable. They have never asked of me. They know I am there. But it's like I have become, uh, what do you call this? Uh, I have become a community policeman. They have abandoned me in the court. I thank God few of my members were also strong and firm. There are a lot of moving testimonies. Time will not permit us to give them. Would you stand out and give God the opportunity to say, yes, truly, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased with. Because you have refused to share what does not belong to you. You have refused to make somebody cry in his own family that you may smile in your own home. That is what is happening in Nigeria. I'm not too sure whether I've mentioned it in this church. That our government that are supposed to take care of the citizens. The little resources that they are generating is not enough for them to share. Brethren, people in the western world sacrifice just to make donations that people, poor people in Africa who cannot afford 
vaccination to vaccinate their own children. Let them benefit from these free donations. I was watching the news when I noticed uh, 60 million have been shared to all the area councils. Uh, which year was it? I think it was during the time of uh, it was during the time of uh, good luck. Yeah. And they shared this money. So I met one of my members who is working with the primary health care uh, section of the area council. I said, wow. I want to believe you are very rich now and you are going to work very hard to save souls. And then he said, Baba, don't talk that. Just keep quiet. The six million that have come into the area council. The chairman is the high priest. So he has already taken, I mean, 60 million that comes, he has already taken six million. The tithe, bar, the tithe of 60 million is six million. He has taken the tithe. And now, the remaining 54 million that has been handed over to the department. The HODs will take their own. And of course, if chairman has taken 6 million, it means he has to do something to the minister so that minister will not come with a torchlight looking at where the, uh, the, the, the money entered. You understand? So he needs to turn the face of the minister elsewhere. I don't know how much. But I know it must be done. Since I didn't hear the minister come out to say, come and give us report of the money that has been given to you. That is what a good leader should do. And that was how they shared the whole money. And then in the end, the little one that will be given to them, they are not going to give them the money. They will go and purchase the vaccine themselves. If they purchase it 20 million, they will write 40 million. I'm very sorry. Don't frown at me. If you are doing the same, the word of God is simply asking you to repent. It is an opportunity for you to repent, not to be angry. Because you are a candidate of heaven. You understand what I'm saying? We cannot eat like the world is eating. Drink like the world is drinking. Dress like the world is dressing. And do exactly what the world system is doing. And then deceive ourselves that we are candidates of heaven. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Brethren, the reason for all of this analysis is not just to fill our heads with knowledge. 
Just like I have told you that our problem in our generation is not lack of knowledge. But our problem is lack of obedience. If what we know as Christians, we are going to put it into practice. Brethren, Nigeria will feel us. Africa will feel us. The whole world will feel us. Are we not more than 120 people in this church? Are we not? The Bible tells us that because they were committed to the teachings of the apostles, because they were committed to prayers, They were committed to doing the will of God. They didn't have to open their mouth and preach the gospel to anybody. People simply saw them. People simply listened to what they were doing and saying, probably by songs. Brethren, there are people, especially our neighbors or our colleagues, especially, specifically, Muslims' colleagues, if they will come and stand around us here and listen to our songs and hear what they are saying, they will vomit. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody was telling me that uh, this uh, Roman Catholic bishop, Jatong, He has been converted to become a Muslim. I said, I have received uh, this thing in my WhatsApp. And I've seen it. But I deleted it immediately. When Roman Catholic were leading Khan in this country, Muslims never had problem with them. And Archbishop Peter Jato was one a, a, Roman, I mean, a, a Khan uh, leader. They build themselves into what they call uh, peace. Uh, what? There is this thing they call that group, that body that is bringing Christians and Muslims together. Eh? Interfaith. Uh, yes. And I have had Christian leaders standing to say there is no difference between the God of the Muslims and the God of the Christians. Because our ways of lives are completely the same. Do you need to open your mouth and tell somebody that your life is different from his? Do you need to? If you allow the word of God to transform you, if you allow Jesus Christ to have a seat in your heart, do you need to open your mouth and tell somebody that there is difference between you? People saw the power that was in the believers. That power was shaking the place. You understand what I'm trying to say? I've once said it here. When we fail to do what we ought to do, I promise to stop 20 minutes because I'm supposed to preach for 30 minutes. I'll run up. You understand what I'm saying? When you fail to do what you ought to do, 
you are definitely going to conform with the world system. And when you are inviting them, come and accept Christ, the question he will ask you, and what will happen? What do you want to happen in my life that is not already happening? Mommy, do you think the difference between me and me, between me and you, should only be your dressing and my dressing? Huh? If the difference between you and me is just the dressing and I am here to become your pastor, will you accept it? Okay, maybe because you are wearing earrings and I'm not wearing earrings. You understand what I'm saying? I said it last Sunday. If your leader in your church does not give you one example, you will be able to see that you can say, this is what I read from in the Bible, and this is what I see in the character of Jesus Christ, that I feel that this man has disciplined himself. And has learned from Jesus. That makes me feel I should learn from him. Brethren. Unless if. We only want to continue to be pretenders. Because if the pastor is a pretender. The elders are going to be pretenders. It's automatically. Will you be fighting with me every day? If I am a pretender. I will teach you how to become a pretender. And you are the ones we are, we are using to reach out to the entire membership, isn't it? So we will teach our members how to become pretenders. And let us not forget that we will be building a church that is not the church of Jesus Christ. But it's our own church. In fact, I thank God. Usually, people used to say the church of Jesus Christ. But now, I hear people when they are introducing their church, they will say our church. Mommy, how do you introduce a PW? When you are describing it, you will say our church, ba? Yes. Whether it is the church you attend or whatever, it's our church. We have succeeded in making this congregation our church. Youth leader, is that not what you say? Our church. Our church. And because we say it is our church, what we want to see is what we do. Nobody cares about what Jesus Christ wants to see. Brethren, this is the goal of these messages. That we should see reasons why collectively as a church and as individuals should remember our commitment unto the Lord Jesus Christ and to remain loyal and faithful unto Him in all that we do. So that any day anybody stands out here 
and say, let's go into this. Collectively, the question we'll be asking, is it going to lead to the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or the one who is standing here and saying it? Are you getting what I'm saying? Shall we pray? Uh, to preach. Before I go into that, uh, I personally requested that uh, the pastor and the secretary allow me to introduce my family, myself. Because I want to introduce them by name. And I also want to give some details that I know the secretary and the pastor may not know. So that uh, you also get to know them better. So I want to request that my wife be on her feet. This is Mary Joshua Dunia. Uh, she's my wife. I I started the ministry without her. Later on, I found her. And she joined me. I did uh, the first two certificates without her. And when I was to go back to school for my diploma, we went together. We graduated together. And you know, Equa don't ordain women. So by the time we came back, <coughs> excuse me, please. By the time we returned, she took to teaching profession, and she has in, been into that up to this moment. The Lord has blessed us with uh, twelve children. <laughs> you know. Yes, you see, the letter is what I really expected. But those of you who were saying, oh, I don't know. Are you pitying us? Or you are, I don't understand. Well, I want to appreciate those of you who clapped. I think we deserve that. Aha. Uh -huh. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to introduce Nathaniel. Nathaniel J. Dunia. He is uh, our first son. Uh, Nathaniel did uh, computer engineering. 
before going back to the seminary, last year he graduated with uh, B.A. Pastoral Theology. Well, let him correct me first. Biblical studies and theology, okay. They kept changing these things. The way we knew them before is not what we know them. Uh, we knew it to be pastoral theology and the old name is what I am using. Now they call it uh, biblical studies and theology. Well, uh, he graduated last year. He is into part-time pastoring in the family. The diseases he has written to, they insist he has to get a wife first before they will employ him. But I've told him, uh, Nathaniel is, uh, I think, above 30 now. But I told him if it will take him the next 30 years, to search and get the right woman that they will do ministry together, let him do that. I will not be tired of feeding him. Uh, Nehemiah, can you be on your feet? Nehemiah too graduated uh, last year as a, a lab scientist. And uh, he has not found a job yet. Uh, I am still feeding him. <laughs> but I told him there is a limit. I won't be tired of feeding the, the pastor, but for the lab scientist, <laughs> he has a limit. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to... Do you want me to introduce the remaining ten later on or I should do it now? Now. Now. Now let me see how many of you will look unto me as your spiritual father. Raise up your hands. Can you be on your feet? All of you. If you know you'll be looking unto me as your spiritual father. Now, you are my ten children. Thank you very much. And don't call me father today. Because all is well. And tomorrow when I march your feet, you will deny me as your father. Because I strongly believe we will all do it to build ourselves and prepare ourselves to be rapturable. The Lord will help us. Thank you very much. I intend to take maybe just few minutes to introduce 
what we will be doing starting from tomorrow. And I assure you, this is very necessary. This is very necessary if we are to succeed as a church. Or maybe let me put it this way. If we are to succeed as a church of Jesus Christ. There are so many churches today, isn't it? Aha. If we are to succeed as a church of Jesus Christ. This is very, very important. The very first day I told you I came here to meet with the elders. And this question was thrown to me. It gave me an idea of the expectations of many of the members of this church. Transfer always comes with these expectations. Sometimes they are high. Sometimes they are low. But I assure you, yes, the human being matters a lot. The human being matters a lot. If we say the church is the church of God, because Jesus Christ founded it himself, we must always see the church the way the Bible describes it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, the Bible described the church as a living body. And I always want to look at the terms we use in describing the church in our generation. We describe it as an organization, isn't it? As an organization. But the Bible describes it as a living organism. And as a living organism, In Colossians 2.19 The Bible says Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the only one person who grows the church is God himself. Is God himself. Brethren, it will be an irony for any individual, either as a pastor or as an elder, to see himself as the one who grows the church. It's a big error.
If the church is a living organism, it means from the day it was founded, it is expected to grow, isn't it? It is expected to grow. God already have put in place everything the church needs in order to grow. Just like when you were born, you had everything needed for your growth. Today you are an adult. Tomorrow we'll call you an old man. And then maybe next tomorrow we will say he is gone. Isn't it? That's the usual expectation anyway. When you are born as a child and you fail to grow, what is happening? Something is wrong. Something is wrong. From where we read from in the morning, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, from verse 42 to 47. The Bible is describing this same living body called the church. Because the members of the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers, every one of them was filled with fear because the Holy Spirit was dwelling in their midst. The Holy Spirit was operating among them. And that was why there was miracles, signs and wonders. The Spirit was at work. The Holy Spirit found comfort in their midst. And he was operating freely in their midst. Every one of them could hear, listen, and understand the voice of the Holy Spirit. And all of them were willing to obey him each time he gives directives. And because... They were faithful in doing this. If you look at the last part of that verse, I mean of that passage, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is talking about growth, isn't it? That is talking about growth. And I have always looked at, this, at it this way. If we as a church 
will agree that Jesus is the one who has called us and formed us into one body. And we all will be willing to, ab- I mean, to obey and abide by the teachings of scriptures. That it is not what I feel I want to do. It is not my own personal desires. It has nothing to do with my own personal interest. But the interest of the Lord. The purpose and the goal for which he brought me into this body. Shall be my priority. Whenever a soul out there gets converted, are you listening to me? Whenever a soul out there gets converted, it is the Lord who will direct him into this congregation because the Lord knows that he will be properly trained for the mission for which God has chosen him. Are you understanding me? Are you understanding me? We may not get this very well. Maybe in about a month or two months to come, I will be dwelling on the issue of uh, sanctification. And God's election of individuals. And maybe we'll get to understand this much better. This perfect church we have just read about from this passage kept growing because the people were doing the will of God. Because the people were obeying the word of God. Because the people were cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Everything was going on fine. Somewhere along the line, something happened. Crisis came into the church. This very church. Crisis came into it. Do you remember what happened? The Greek's widow... We are somehow pushed aside in the aspect of sharing. And they started complaining. It's like our women have been left without any help. Now I see that as a disease that came into the church. Initially, they said they had one mind and they were doing everything in the spirit of oneness. And they had concern for each other. 
they had the right care for the needy persons. Now what happened? Maybe selfishness came in. And I see it as a disease. And then people began to love just themselves and those that were closer to them. Those neglecting those who were a bit far away. I see my responsibility and your own responsibility as that of looking out for those hindrances, those obstacles that will keep the church from growing the way God expects it to grow. Do you understand? And that is what my role will be in this church. And that is what your own roles will be in this church. If you go to Revelation starting from chapter 2 to the last part of uh, chapter 3 John was giving us a picture of how God sees every church, every living body he has set up as a congregation. And we have seven of them listed here. Every one of this church had their own diseases. They picked up very fine the way God wanted them to grow. Somewhere along the line, some of them were badly injured. That they never had good reputation before God. Some of them were partially injured. That yes, they still had a reputation, but they needed to do something about it. By the special grace of God, tomorrow our area of concentration shall be Revelation chapter 2 from verses 1 to 7. Verses 1 to 7. You wake up, you woke up very early in the morning with this particular passage. Spend the whole day interacting with this passage. Try to key into it. As a member of the body of Jesus Christ. You are part of the body of Jesus. What is the Lord telling you from this passage? Brethren, 
Don't look at your faithfulness in times of your religious practices. That is not what the Bible is looking at. Don't look at your faithfulness in times of things that doesn't really matter. Because I have tried looking at all the churches we have pastored and I asked this same question. Can it be possible for us to become like the first church described from Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to 47 and I remember in one of the churches the first shout was ah it can never be possible and then the next question to ask are we confident that when Jesus Christ appears that we shall be raptured to be with him. And everybody answered, yes. There is no two way about it. If we cannot become like that first church we have read from, where everybody will forget about my own personal interest, my own desires, and see my purpose for living as living because of Jesus Christ. You have to have a second thought about your ambition to go to heaven. Are you getting me? That's the whole truth. Because the Bible says, those whom Jesus Christ is walking, he has walked on, and is still walking on, to present before the, the, the Father in heaven, are a people without any stain. Isn't it? Isn't it? The Lord will help us. As you study this passage tomorrow and you reflect upon it and you see yourself, your body as the temple of Jesus Christ, you continue to ask this question, am I still the temple of the Holy Spirit? Am I clean enough for the Holy Spirit to dwell in me? Because it is only when he is alive in you that you can be of any use in his own church. It is only when he is active in you and in me that I can be useful in the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Being enriched, let's give thanks. 
being enriched, let's give thanks. Within the week, we're able to establish the truths and also the facts in which Apostle Paul wanted the Corinthian church to know that it is God that enriches us. It is not by our power, it is not by our strength, what we are today, it is not by our own doing, but it's what God is doing. There is nothing good today that we celebrate that is done by our own strength. God has been faithful. God has been loving. He's a kind God. We have thousands of reasons to say to God, we are grateful. This enrichment, we have come to the realization that God is doing it not only once in life, but it's something repeatedly that He is doing for a reason in order to build us so that we can have the grace of not just being enriched, but also to be givers. That we too will grow, you know, in touching lives and also in giving. So, the moment we grow in giving, the moment our lives is full of giving, two things that are happening to us. We are growing in righteousness. And secondly, we are growing in our investment. Investment not only in the lives of people, but investment in the kingdom of God. And it makes us more richer than where we were. Paul wrote, he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, unlike the first letter, in order to address issues and problems, he wrote to thank them because of their efforts to challenge the Macedonian church. He thanked them because there was improvement in that church. And now he was to tell them why he was preaching and also to spur them into giving, into doing the work of God. There were ministers around that were working just for their stomachs. So their stomach was the kingdom of God to them. They were working for selfish interests. But Paul was telling them, look, my ministry, I am called by God. I am an apostle called by God. I am not doing ministry for selfish interests. One, he helped them to he explain himself about his action. From chapter 1, you see that to chapter 2. And in chapter 2 to chapter 7, Paul defends his ministry. And most importantly, the third one is chapter 8 to chapter 9. Paul defends the collections that he's about to take. It's just like what we are hearing from our pastor, the, resident, uh, the senior pastor just right now. Paul is saying, I am not taking these offerings so that I can enrich myself. I am not taking these offerings so that I can enjoy them for selfish reasons. I am taking these offerings because the Jewish Christians, we have the Jews that are believers, but they were in difficulties. They were passing through persecution from their fellow brothers that were Jews. Because you know the Jews, they have what they call the uh, Judaism, and that's the religion you know, they practice. But now for them to come and accept Jesus Christ, they were passing through persecution. 
There was lack of food. There was lack of necess- uh, the, mat- uh, the material things they need for life. And now Paul said, let us gather in order to go and encourage them. So I'm not taking it for myself. Now the pastor has told us the needs of the church. How can we live in our homes? How can we sleep on our beds? And water is eating up the land that belongs to God. How can we stay in our homes and the house of God? The land of God is not fenced. Others have come in. You know, Satan is calling. If we refuse to do the will of God, Satan will do his own will. Others, they paid for it. The person that donated that land, the person needed that land, it was a sacrifice. Don't ever think that the person that gave, even today the giving we are, we are about to give, is not because we don't have needs. But out of love for God, out of sacrifice, this person gave. Probably in that time, those people gave, they saw the need, and in our own generation, that we will sit here and that land will be taken over. God forbid that in the name of Jesus Christ. David said something. He was about to build a temple for the Lord. He said, in fact, do you know that it was David that insisted to bring the Ark of Covenant to the, to, to the city? Do you know that David made some reformation to the temple? He was a king. But he said he can't sleep in his own palace. A beautiful palace. While the covenant of God is right there. You know, in the hands of the enemies. God said, I will not even allow you to build the temple. Because you have shedded blood. Do you know David gathered the resources that was needed for his son Solomon to come and build the temple? He built his son and encouraged him. He put in him that vision. And when Solomon came to the throne, he did that which was in the heart of his father. What are we giving to our future generation? Our children are watching. How can we sleep in our homes? The house of God is not built. So Paul is saying, I'm not doing this for selfish interest. The doctor today, our reverend is saying, look, this Thanksgiving, we have a focus. I pray we'll do like the Macedonian church in the name of Jesus Christ. So earlier in the book, Paul has described what it is, the principles of giving. In chapter 8, he has told them that gifts should be brought to the church. On the first day of the week, the Lord's day, the believers, the Lord's people, were to bring their offerings, the Lord's tithes and offerings. They are to bring them to the church meeting, the Lord's house. The believer's first responsibility to his own local church is very important. If Christians do not bring tithes and offerings to the local churches, then their hearts are not in the ministry of the local church. No wonder in the book of Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 21, Jesus says something. He said, let our hearts be where our treasure is. And our treasures ought to be where our heart is. And he said, let our treasures be in heaven. Now, how do you send your treasures to heaven? You know, when I was pastoring churches, I, have, I didn't introduce my children. I'm so sorry, I don't want to spend much time introducing myself because I have Jesus to introduce to you. But I have two children. God bless us with two kids. One is Enoch, the uh, elder one, is a boy, and also the female, Emily. And uh, actually, up to now, God gave us three. But the last one, it was through CS. And uh, God called the baby back home. So, and since then, you know, we have been like that. And God has said, two is okay for now. We don't know <laughs> whether later he will do something. So, one day my son asked me a question. You know, children ask so many questions. After collecting offerings... Then I went back to the pastorium we were there in the evening and we were discussing in order to pray because it's always good to have time with your family. And when we were discussing, my son said, Daddy, he wants to ask me that please, this Sunday they have collected offering that the time I will be going to give God that he wants to follow me. That he wants to follow me to see God. You want to see how I'm giving the offering to God? And you know, before he asked this question, he asked me, he said, Daddy, are you the pastor of the church? I said, yes. He said, he knows that I'm going to give God, so he wants to follow me. I look at this, my son. <laughs> pastor, I don't know which answer you give to your child. If he... I, I look at my son, I was wondering what answer to give him. Then I have to explain things to him. I say, my son, look, the truth is that. This God we are talking about, there is no way he used to put his hand and I will go and put that offering on. But we use it for the work of God. And in turn, God that is in heaven is happy. And then he blessed those that are doing his work. I have to explain things to him. He said, okay. And then he went. But he came back with another question. Don't worry, I won't continue. Because there is no end to all those questions. So, our first responsibility is to the church. So, our offerings, our giving, we must grow the church. We must grow the body of Christ. We must be willing to support the work of the ministry that God is doing. We are identified with our local churches. Number two, gifts should come from the hearts. The principle of giving, number two, we can see that even in chapter 8, verse 2 to 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, chapter 8, verse 2 to 9. And Paul is saying, gifts should come from the heart. Christian giving does not depend on material circumstances so much as spiritual convictions. The believers in Macedonia were poor and going through suffering, yet because of love for Christ, they wanted to share in the offerings. They did not say, we must keep this for ourselves. They were willing to give that others may be helped. They look upon their giving as grace from God. So therefore, Christian giving must flow from the heart and as an expression of love. 
for Christ. Look at what Paul said about Macedonian church. I have been saying this and I will repeat it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 to 15. He said, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to Macedonian church. Out of most severe trial. I don't know whether you remember the case in Nigeria today. I don't know what you are passing through. Someone is here. You don't even know what to eat in the evening today. Someone is here. You don't know how to care for a particular situation you are passing through. Someone is here that is sick and you don't even know where to get the money to solve your problems. Look, there is no end to challenges. But they say out of poverty, out of severe trials, they are overflowing joy, they are extreme poverty, wealth up in rich generosity. Verse 3, say, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. On their own. They urgently pleaded. Let us see today whether we will tell the pastor, this our thanksgiving is not enough. We will go back home and still prepare and make sure that this solution to this problem is met. That was the situation in Macedonian church. When they understood the vision, they caught the vision and then they followed the queue in. They were willing to go back home and bring more. Paul said, it is okay. They said, no, allow us. We understand what it is to give. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the saints. Verse 5, and they did not do so as expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. Verse 7, let's just jump to 7, and he said, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete honesty, earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Now Paul was using example with the Macedonian church to the Corinthian church. He said, look, grow in your grace of giving. And I want to say the same to Equa PW, grow in the grace of giving. The last one, he said, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the honesty of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. So that through his poverty might become rich. And today we celebrate, you know, the pains that Jesus passed through. I think it was on Friday I told you this for those that were here. I said Jesus Christ was not crucified with any piece of cloth on his body. The Bible says the clothes were used to play uh, lots. And reading how the Greece, you know, at that time in the Roman Empire, how they used to crucify criminals. 
It was a terrible death. It was a shameful death. And therefore you can, there is no way that person will be crucified with clothes. Forget about the film you watch today because the people are ashamed. They have to even bring Jesus on that film with a cloth around his waist. Because it will look very shameful to even watch that Jesus film. He did it for us. He was willing to pass through pains. The sin upon us he took upon himself. He died for us. He shed his blood for us. Today we are free not because of what we are doing, but because God, what God did to us through Jesus Christ. Other thing he wanted the Corinthian church to know is that gifts should be measured. Gifts should be measured proportionally. It's according to what you have. Don't go and borrow. Don't go and steal. As some are in the habit of doing today. Someone will go and embezzle, embezzle money in the government and come and give tithe in the church. You that you are doing that, what awaits you is punishment from the Lord and not blessing. You cannot steal from the government and pay God. It's a sin before the Lord. As God gives you the grace, this year God has blessed you Whatever God has blessed you with. Some God has blessed them with money. Some God has blessed them with strength. Some God has blessed them with even things that our eyes cannot see. God has blessed you with life. God has blessed you. You can even talk. Look, I am walking. I am right there in the hospital. Every day. It's difficult for me to spend a whole week without seeing about two or three people dying. Every day before me. In my hands. Some are dying. Some are living. I am seeing it every day. And let me tell you, this is making me becoming more humble and humble in my life. You just need to see how people are suffering. I told you on Friday that there is a lady that came to me. I have her picture right on my handset. This lady came to me. She was born that way. Because of some, uh, some of the composition in her blood. And they said it has to do with uh, sickle cell or whatever. This girl is peeling from the flesh. She's peeling from the flesh. When she came to my office, she sat, I could not breathe. And I wonder how this girl is surviving. It is not her fault. Now I look at myself. I say, God, what have I done to you that you love me so much? My body is not peeling. I am healthy. But look at this young girl. She is suffering from this. And do you know the worst part of it? This girl, what she needs, because they said they can walk on her, but not here. And do you know how much she needs? She needs just 150,000. Her parents cannot pro produce it. All this while she has been suffering from it. I have to go around now and I'm just asking anywhere God will bless. And please, I'm telling you, even if you are here and God is touching, like uh, on, I think on Friday, 
Somebody met me after the program. I said, Pastor, here is, I think, around 3,000 or 4. I can't remember how much. I gave it to my wife. I said, Keep it. We will give, and then I'll give you the phone number of that girl so that you will see what is happening and also she, she will also call you and thank you. So, look, you need to thank God. God has given you so many things. Look at what God has given you and say, Daddy, I'm so grateful. The last one, gifts should be handled honestly. Because, sir, you see, this message is for all of us. It's for all of us. The church can do their own part. But the question, the elders and also the pastors, will, do, will you do your own part? Paul was actually showing that, look, this gift you are bringing will make sure that it reaches its destination. So that's how giving must be done in the church. Let everything be done in order to give glory to the name of the Lord. And the text, we will come to that because our text mainly is Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 11. But now before then, let's look at these benefits because that's what we are going to look at and then we'll close for today. The benefits of growing in the grace of giving. So Paul has encouraged the believers to grow and these are the benefits of anyone that is growing in the grace of giving. Number one, the first benefit is that giving brings blessing to others. It's a blessing to others. So it's a benefit. I told you about Tabitha that died. Her life was blessing the widows. She was making clothes, giving the widows. And when she died, the widows gathered and prayed. They called the servant of God. They called Peter and said, pray for us. This woman cannot die in our generation. We can't afford to see her dead. She is a blessing to us. So they prayed and the Bible said God rose her up and she was alive again. So it shows that do you know that you can live long because you are blessing others? What are people saying about us as a church? Equal good news, PW. Are we blessing the lives of the ministers? Are we blessing the lives of the needy? Are we blessing the lives of the widows? Are we blessing the lives of those in need? So blessings brings blessings, giving brings blessings to others. In verse 5, 1 to 5 you see it. He said, there is no need for me to write to you about the service to the saints. For I know your eagerness to help and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonian church. Telling them that since last year, you in Asia were ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Verse 3 of Second Corinthians chapter 9 saying, But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not be proven hollow. But that you may be ready as I said you will be. Verse 4, for if any Macedonian come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you will be ashamed 
of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous, for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as generous gift, not as one grossly given. So the Macedonian church was an example. And I pray that Equa PW would be an example to Buari DCC in the name of Jesus Christ. Delegate, you will see wonders. We want, when you live here, your testimony will be that you have never seen this kind of giving. Yes, it's a good thing to give an example. You know, when you don't want to do something, you say, ah, we don't want people to know. Ah! The Macedonian church did it. And everybody knew. And today we are knowing it. When you make a record, it will be known. Even when you don't want, they will look. See, Jesus Christ sometimes, we say, don't tell people. But today we are hearing it. How comes? Because it was a wonderful thing to do. What will the world remember you for? When you are gone. Number two. Giving will bring blessings to ourselves. When you bless others. When you grow in the grace of giving. The Bible says we will be blessed. Verse 6 to 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is saying, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So Paul used an agricultural term, here in order to illustrate his point. The farmer that so bountifully will reap bountifully. God will, God will not leave him alone. God will never be a debtor to any man. God is faithful to bless you when you are faithful to obey him. Proverbs 11, 23 to 28 is encouraging us in the same vein. And the Bible says the desire of the righteous end only in good. The desire of the righteous ends only in good. But the hope of the wicked only in wrath. Verse 24. He's saying oh, one man gives freely, yet gain even more. Another withhold undoubtedly. Are you holding back to what God has blessed you? He said another man what withhold unduly, but comes to poverty. Verse 25. A generous man will prosper. A generous man will prosper. A generous woman will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards grain, but bless, blessing crown him who is willing to sell. Verse 27. The last verse said, He who seeks Good find goodwill, but evil come to him who search for it. 
Whoever trusts in the riches will fall. But the righteous will thrive like green leaves. May the Lord help us to thrive in the name of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 is saying the same thing. The Bible is saying give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down together and shaking together and rolling what? All over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It is blessed to give. And the last one, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 to 9, is saying the same thing. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from that spirit will reap eternal life. Number three, the last benefits of growing in the grace of giving. Giving will bring glory to God Almighty. Giving will bring glory to God Almighty. And that is what we are created for. Your own existence. The reason why we live today is to glorify the name of the Lord. Second Corinthians 9, 12 to 15. Dear Paul said, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It's an expression of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of the service which you have proven yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompany your confession of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Verse 15 says, Thank be to God for his indescribable gifts. The surpassing grace God has given you. So, thank be to God. Thank be to God. So, God enrich us so that we can enrich others and thereby God receiving the praise. Today, we are here to praise the name of the Lord. Verse 13 gives us reasons why the Jews received this offering. They are receiving this offering will bring glory to the name of the Lord. He said because the giver show obedience to God's word. Because of that obedience, they are going to praise God for the obedience of the Corinthian church. So God is going to make people to praise him. The hearts of many are going to rejoice because of PW obedient to the will of God. And secondly, because the liberality offerings, the liberal offering that were given to help them and all men, the recipient in turn will pray for the church and love them the more. As we are going to build all these things, our the future generation are going to praise God for our lives. Our children are going to worship God in these places. 
when they enter the magnificent buildings, they are going to say, we thank God for our parents. We thank God for those that God you use in order to secure this land for us to worship. Do you know that today as we are here celebrating the goodness of God, there was a time some of them are not alive today. Those that did all this ceiling, those that made sure that these foundations was made, those that gave this land, probably they are no more. But today, anyone that comes in here is giving God the praise for equal good news, PW. The question is, are people going to be praising God? Is our action today going to bring the praise to the name of the Lord? Now lastly, as I round up, I want you to know, there are three hindrances to thanksgiving. If we don't learn to tell God thank you, then we are not doing what is right. A story was said about the leopards. Ten of them were healed, according to Luke chapter 17, verse 11 to 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the borders between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who were leprous met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them. Are you one of those God has blessed this year? The Bible says one of them. When he had saw, he was here. He saw what God did for him. Probably those one did not see. Our attention is always on the negative. Our eyes are not seeing what God is doing. There was a time I was in the clinic. I went in the morning in order to have devotion. After having devotion with the staff. And I went in in order to have devotion with the sick. Because every day I encouraged them. And when I went in, that day there was one young boy, one small boy. I went and I met the doctor. They were busy putting oxygen doing this and that, and we stayed. When I entered, there was no greeting. So I just went, jumped into prayer. And as they were doing their work, I was praying, and the clinic, the sick people were quiet. Those ones that thought they were sick, when they saw this one, eh, they joined us in prayer. Not for themselves, but for that boy. Until you see what others are passing through, you will know that where you are today is someone's prayer request. When we prayed, I saw the doctor reach a point and he was repeating the same thing. And sweat was coming out and I saw him going weak and weak. I said, doctor, come. I draw him by the side. You know, I like asking questions. Maybe my son copied from me. I said, doctor, tell me the truth. What is happening? We have been praying. It's not getting better. You have been doing the same thing. I have not seen you change procedure. He said, Pastor, this situation, let me tell you the truth. I don't even know what is wrong with this boy. He said, they have checked. They have done all they can. They, can't, they don't even know what is wrong with him. And this boy was dying. The boy was crying for pains. He was crying pains. And all he would say is, Mama, Mama. And the mother was lying down on the ground crying. Because he can only remember the mother. But the mother could not help him. 
When the daughter said that, I said to come, let's go still and be repeating what we are doing. But don't give up. We began to pray. My sister, my brother, I'm telling you reality. This thing happened right in Equa Clinic. Life began to flow into the life of this boy. Even the sick were praying for him. This boy survived it. The next day, when I came in the morning, I saw the woman was sitting outside. The next day, the woman was sitting outside. If you know a clinic, Carol, very well. From that world, the outside of the world. She was sitting outside and the boy was inside those flowers playing. When I saw it, I said, God is great. But do you know the problem? This woman was crying. When I saw the boy, I went, I shook him, and I was so happy, I played with him. But when I went to the mother, it was tears. I said, Madam, what is the problem? I saw your son playing. You are supposed to be praising God. Do you know what she told me? She said, Pastor, thank you for everything. But the truth is that when this boy was sick, even the food we would eat at that time, there was no food. So, because I wanted to save his life, I ran quickly to this hospital. You see, all those oxygen they use and everything. Now, the bill is around close to 50,000. I don't know where to get the money. So, now I can't even go to my house. Yes, God has done it for me, but that is why I'm crying. I said, come on, my sister, stand up and let's praise God. I said, come, forget about that one. What we need is life. You see, sometimes you may not know what God is doing for you until you learn how to thank God. I drew her. I told her, come. And when we went inside, we had our devotion and our devotion was on thanksgiving. So we thank God. The woman began to praise God and that day she was the one that prayed for us. She prayed and she was thanking God, kneeling down, praising God. You can see it even with tears from her heart. Do you know what happened? The moment I went back to the office, some group of Christians came. They came from uh, Jukwe. And they said they have come today to see the sick and they want to see how their life can touch the sick. I said, hey, okay. So how are you going to do it? Are you going to go there to greet them and pray with them and what again? They say yes. When they reach, they were praying for people. And when they reach the bed, they will ask you what is your problem? How much is your bill? Do you know what they will do? They will count the bill. And that's what they did in the whole hospital. When they reach this woman's place, I don't know what led them. I'm telling you. Because God has his, his miracles. I didn't share the issue of this woman to them. Though I just tell them people are sick and all that. When they reach, they reach a place, they say, you woman, come and meet us in the chaplain's office. So, when they reach, I thought the money is finished. I said, ah, ah, these people would have started here. True. I, my intention was that if they go and they say money is finished, I will collect. <laughs> but where that woman needed it more. I know the people would donate. So that was my intention. So we went. I was just waiting to see what will happen. 
So when we arrived there, they said, woman, what is your problem? She said, her problem is the money. It was around close to 50,000. They said they are led in their heart to give her more than that. They counted money and gave. We called in charge and paid the bill and cleared it. Now they counted money. Money. And then gave to this woman. This woman, look, she, she lied down on the ground. And she was like, Pastor, thank you. I said, ah, let me even tell you the truth. I didn't discuss with them. This one, I'm not even involved. Praise your God. I knew that that money they gave her extra was for the food she cried out to. You must learn to thank God. You must learn to appreciate God. If this woman probably did not come back to thank God, if she was busy still crying, probably that thing would have not happened. God has watched over our lives from January till this time. There is something you are passing through. Don't waste your time in crying. Don't waste your time on being anxious. Learn to praise God. Look, Paul and Silas was, were in the prison. I thought by then they should be praying for deliverance. But Paul and Silas were praising God and singing to God. And they said the prison door opened. The place shook. Please, we must stop grumbling. Complaining and murmuring hinder us from appreciating God. Another thing is that pride, when we think it's our power, your family today is not by your strength. I told you within the week that there was a day I sat down thinking about how my family is faring. I never knew where tears came out of my eye. I said, God, I know if it was my strength, I cannot take care of this family. The school they are going, the food they eat, the clothes they wear, I can't even take care of myself, talk more of my wife. Sometimes when I go out, some will say, you are doing well about your wife, but truly it's not me. It's not me. Some will say, your children are doing well. They don't know, it's not me. It's God. Don't be proud. Jesus gave a parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store up my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Hmm. Take life easy. Eat and drink and marry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with the one who store up things for himself. But it's not rich towards God. In conclusion. I want to say this story before I just conclude and we pray. When I was pursuing my master's program, I was doing biblical studies in Jets, Equatological Seminary, Jos. I was also pursuing another master's in University of Jos. 
I was doing ethics and philosophy. One incident happened in my life. Because that time I was still a pastor here in Abuja here. I was going, coming back. In a week, sometimes I go to just like three or four times and come back. Because I have some things to attend to the church. It was not easy, but God's grace was sufficient. There was a day I went to the park to enter a bus. When I reached there, they told me the bus is filled up. I begged them. I said, please, I can sit on the engine because I'm late. I want to meet up with a class. The people look at me. They said, Sam, they will never agree. In fact, there was one woman right there. I look at her as my hater in life. She said, you, you cannot come and inconvenience us. She was so keen to eat. In fact, because of her, the rest said they will not agree. This woman, I look at her, I find it difficult to forgive her. So, but the car, the bus went. There I was praying, oh Lord. And it was evening. And finally, lastly, one uh, uh, taxi came. And the man said, I don't even need plenty of people. If I need even two or three, I'm going to just He wants to meet up with something. And that was the taxi I entered. On my way, we followed the road of Akwanga Road. There is one bridge. After is between uh, uh, Kefi and Akwanga. There is one tank around there. I don't know the name of that place. The moment we arrived there, we saw people gathered. There is an accident. An accident occurred. And all the cars were inside the river. No one survived. In that bus, only one lady survived. And do you know the lady that survived? The lady that sat down and told me that you will never enter here. She is the one that survived. That was the bus I was about to enter. When I look at them, they were bringing them out of river. Some of them, their heads were cut off. Some of them, their hands were cut off. And from there, I sat down. I said, God, this road, I follow it every day. I never knew that there is always danger like this. That is where I begin to appreciate that woman. I went to her. She was in blood. But I told her, thank you. Some things are happening in our life for our good. That sickness you are struggling with is for your good. You have been calling God and it's like God is saying, wait. Paul cried to God and said, take away that tongues. And he said, my grace is sufficient. Don't think God is far from you. He knows what he's doing. Let us rise as we pray.